RPC Radio. Radio. Hello, you're listening to Insurance Covered. Welcome to the podcast that covers anything and everything to do with insurance. Coming up in this episode. And my my favorite definition of brand, and there are lots of definitions, my favorite is a simple one, is that brand is a promise kept. My name is Peter Mansfield. I'm a partner of the law firm RPC, and in each episode, I'm joined by a guest, and we discuss an aspect of the wonderful world of insurance. And this week, we have Ben Bolton. And we're going to discuss the growing importance of brand, brand awareness, brand recognition, and so on. This is a return visit for Ben. Uh, He was our guest on season two, episode five, when we talked about what makes a great underwriter. Ben has been involved in market research throughout his professional career. And in 2001, he founded Grace Church Consulting, which conducts research on the insurance sector. Earlier this year, he launched a new venture, Insure Index, which analyzes the brand power of insurers within the insurance market which is what we're going to discuss today. So, Ben, welcome back to the podcast. Hi, Peter. So, g- given that you're a fan of uh, indexes and uh, tables, uh, do you want to know where your first podcast currently ranks in terms of downloads? I absolutely do want to know, Peter, yes. Well, I, I obviously wouldn't have offered that information unless it was a good result for you. So, uh, we've, we've had, so by the time this one comes out, it will be 50-something um, episodes. And yours was the 23rd um, episode to be published so that's where you'd expect to stand if, if everything was equal um, but you overall you stand at number seven which is very very impressive indeed well I quick my quick calculation is that would be my my definition of that would be top quartile which is always good which I say to my clients but anyway I'm now thinking about how I can get to be number one Peter that's the main thing that's going on in my head <laughs> well I, I'm, I'm very happy to help you try um <laughs> But, but when we spoke last time, uh, you explained how you first became involved with insurance, that it was uh, the result of a, a request from, from Lloyd's. Um, and that may explain how you were introduced to insurance, but it doesn't explain why you focused on insurance thereafter. So what is it about insurance that, that keeps you coming back for more? Well, yeah, it's been 20, over 20 years now, Grace Church, and my involvement with the, certainly the commercial insurance market. And, and, and the reasons I think, you know, the answer to that question is, one, I think I'm quite a persistent person. I never would have thought of that as my younger self, but I think I am. So there's a certain sense of kind of unfinished business for me in the market. But I also actually like the culture and insurance, and, and it's, it's a very convivial market, very social market, and I, I like that about it. And actually... There's there's a sort of a pre, and I don't think it's been said very much, but there's a sort of an appreciative, very kind of human culture in insurance, which in other markets I've worked in you don't always have. You, there there's some more. You find some markets, particularly where I've worked as an agency, you're just treated as a supplier all the time, and you're, that's what they call you. And actually, I, I don't get that so much in insurance. So I like it and I enjoy it. And you've started this new venture, Insure Index. I-N-S-U-R, index, or one word, um, which sets out to measure brand power or brand awareness uh, within the commercial insurance market. Um, and we'll come on to kind of why and how in a moment. But let's start by asking, let's kind of build a fundamental element for this podcast, which is what do you mean by brand within the context of insurance? Just to kick this off, I'm going to keep it simple and say that Brand management is really just a strategic tool for business development. That's what it's there to do. Let's not 
you know, over egg uh, brand. I know it gets into the, the, the fluffy and the creative at times. And my, my favorite definition of brand, and there are lots of definitions, my favorite is a simple one, is that brand is a promise kept. And the reason I partly like that now is because I think that's very apt for the insurance industry, which has, uh, when, it, when you're sold a policy, obviously there is a promise there to pay if the claim is made. So brand, if we go back, and I know you like a bit of history, Peter. So brands were really first developed about 2000 years ago by the Greeks and the Romans. And, and, and as their empires grew, the issue was that the products and um, things that they sold, the distance as the empires grew, the distance between the buyers and the sellers grew so much that you couldn't rely really on these personal relationships anymore. So these maker marks came about and they were these handcrafted marks that denoted quality, and authenticity for the buyers. And if you think about insurance, of course, we still have stamps and we still have all of these little identifiers that prove in various, even digitally, you know, we have now digital stamps, of course, that prove this. So the branding, if you like, is still is still there as a mechanic. Now, when we come then on to today, brand is much more than that. The brand has become a what I describe as a vehicle for the sort of stories that we tell about business. And there's a great book, I don't know if you've read it, called Sapiens by um, Yuval Noah Harari. And, you know, one of the things he talks about in there, which I've always found very interesting, is how we as humans obviously have developed. And there's this idea that he writes about. So he says, you could never convince a monkey to give you a banana by promising him limitless bananas after death in monkey heaven. Only sapiens or humans can believe in such fictions. And he then goes on to say fiction is of immense importance because it enabled us to imagine things collectively. And, and his final point is that these things enable sapiens to cooperate flexibly with thousands and even millions of complete strangers. And here I think is where the parallel with brand is in, in its modern form, which is that it's a way of communicating something that in fact is quite abstract um, or ideas or anything. So brand is really also about ideas these days. It's about descriptors, myths, and it relies on all these language cues, whether they be visual or written. A lot of, a lot of brand is about words and language. A lot of it nowadays is about the visual, you know, the, 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 the immediate conjuring up of something. And so they're about perception really as well. And that's what you end up measuring. Absolutely. And I read, read an article that uh, you've written in which you split insurance brands into two broad categories. Um, so power brands and challenger brands. Um, could you explain what uh, what you mean by those two categories? And, and I suppose more importantly, why you believe that that sort of categorization is a useful way of looking at it? Yeah. So that article was trying to describe how the market is operating in terms of its structure uh, via the sort of brand lens. So what the research is showing that when we look at it is that everything is consolidating towards very large scale players, hypermarkets or supermarkets, if you like, you might want to equate them to, or to more specialist players, which you might also equate to sort of delicatessens or boutiques, you know, and there's not much in the middle anymore. There used to be quite a lot in the middle, which was medium-sized organizations that did everything or tried to do everything. See, so there is a sort of bifurcation going on, both in real commercial terms as to where the capital is, but also in terms of our perceptions of these businesses. So when you look now, I think in terms of the brands, you've got these very large 
scale organizations, clearly they've got global. That's one of their benefits that you can write the business anywhere in the world. So if you're a Fortune 500 company, they'll do that for you and they can administer that and they can uh, you know, help you out with all the policies and procedures you need. And they've got resource, capital, IT, commercial contracts, all of that sort of stuff that you'd say, wow, that's what we need for scale. Whereas, ah, oh, now I've got a little risk that I, none of the, these these guys are just not flexible or nimble enough to place and i'd like to go to the boutique on the corner you know so there's still in both scale supermarkets and boutiques you get a bit of both even in the insurance market now it is starting to change so we're looking at what we call challenger brands coming in doing things differently tech enabled and so they're all um vying i think for positioning and that's where branding comes in they need to be understood quite quickly. I think that's the key point in a market that is often quite confusing. And uh, MGAs, where do they fit? Presumably, they almost entirely, but possibly entirely, fit within the challenger brand rather than the power brand. Yeah, they do largely. I mean, they're not working at the sort of scale that the carriers are working at or even the large brokers, for example. So the MJs, I always think, are still a bit of an odd fish. And I don't think anybody could easily describe exactly what an MGA was because they're all so different and they all operate so differently. But they clearly fulfill a role. And I think that role is still evolving. You know, to me, they're another type of intermediary distributing the product. But I think the interesting thing is the oddity of, of the MGA as a concept has been sort of overtaken a bit by branding. They've used branding quite well. So if you take CFC, for example, you know, the cyber MGA, they really just went out and said, look, this is, we're a cyber specialist. That's what we're good at. And, and they marketed that and, and they built their brand around that. The other thing I think interesting about MGAs is, of course, in some areas, the, the insurers have kind of given their brand away to these MGAs. So I find that quite intriguing as to how that will evolve. And um, I've always thought of brand, particularly in the context of consumer products. And when you're talking about the history, you said, you know, a plate or something has a particular stamp on it. Um, and you think in terms of Coca-Cola against Pepsi or McDonald's against Burger King on, and, and so on. Does that translate into the world of insurance? And, and, and if so, how? Yeah, I mean, it does completely. I think, yes, we still have brand battles. We still think of who's the peer group and who's the competitors You'd think of the top end, you know, you'd think of Chubb, AIG, the big reinsurers, the immunities. They're, they're all big, they're well-known brands, you know. I don't think it's any different, as I said before, than other sectors. So these, these battles are the same. And the reason really now it's so important is the insurance competition is growing. The market is consolidating quite rapidly. Our data shows that more and more business is going to the larger players. And then some of it is going to these specialized players. And where's that coming from? Well, it's coming from the middle to some extent because the market isn't growing necessarily. And so it's being redeployed into these very large organizations. And when this happens, brand recognition becomes more vital. So your example of Coke versus Pepsi is a really good one. That's a market really of two players, right? So the fact there are two players means they have to really, really work at differentiation or being distinctive and they have to really work also at their superiority one over the other hence they did there was the pepsi challenge and things like that so these are all ways of saying that we're slightly better than the other now we know they're both brown sugary water there's nothing much different rationally between the two and you probably couldn't tell the difference although some will claim they can but 
that it becomes the more distillation you get in brand terms, the more the fewer those players at the top. And when particularly there's a race for the top, which we've got in insurance at the moment with a lot of very large players wanting to grow because of the market the way it is and because of technology and other things, the brand investment increases. So you get a ratchet effect of consolidation of kind of slight panic among the executives at the top saying we need to be in the top six or the top five or the top 10, otherwise we're toast, and more money going into that brand investment. And, and in general terms, how are insurers doing? Um, if, if one looks at insurance as a whole, um, do insurers, generally speaking, have strong brands or, or weak ones? Um, as a sector, I don't think it's great. I think it's had. I think it's not really ever pushed itself up the table of trust. You know these trust tables and so on. It's if you look at net promoter scores, which we use. You know the insurance industry is not one of the most trusted. And by that, I don't mean a sort of you know intrinsic trust like you trust your family. I mean it's just is is a product I want to buy and I want to be in, I I I think will pay out, right? I think many people after the BI case have said to me brand wise there but for the grace of God would we have made a similar decision would we've gone down that road and that has really focused attention I think within quite a lot of organizations on the risks of reputational damage and how you really do need to think about long-term what you're building in a brand and those things are about consistency and sticking to the things that you've said you know the um promise delivered as I said earlier on exactly I was thinking exactly that thought well when you define brand at the beginning of a brand is a promise kept um that's precisely what you're talking about now you're, you're right and I think these things are what you have to do when you think about a whole sector is you have to change the whole perception to some extent and I think that that's quite difficult when the product is so abstract. So the promise aspect is hard. It's also a bit of a grudge purchase. I think Stephen Catlin said nobody gets up on a Monday morning wanting to buy insurance, and they don't, of course. So where branding has tended to be is about playing on the idea of the importance of insurance and the purpose of insurance and why it's it's valuable. And I, I believe that it is valuable. I'm sure you do too, because we, you know, when we see what it can do and the help it can give, it's an amazing product and it's simple actually it works in the main it works really well but there is um i think the other issue there is there's kind of room for choice with businesses as to just how much they want to pay a claim or how they want to help and i spoke to one business a few years ago who said that in their us business they had a group of people who helped people to work out the things they needed to do to make sure they got the claim paid so in other words part of their service was to say to people, don't fall at some of the legal obstacles you might see by filling out the form in the wrong way and then having a problem will help you to get a smooth result. And I think that's um, quite important, you know, in terms of thinking about what you can do with an insurance brand. Generally speaking, I'd say most carriers have not really got into that yet. I think they very much work at the financial level still with their narrative it's 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 uh it's going to open up into more of a customer centric narrative i think now so tell us a bit about insure index um so you know we're going to come on in a moment as to why you, you've launched it but could you tell us uh, at least initially what it is what it actually is yeah so insure index is a business that showcases successful insurance sector brands 
And what we do with it is through the Insure Index website and other partnerships that we've got is we'll highlight who are the strongest brands, uh, not just the carriers, all sorts of brands. So we will look at all sorts of the weird and the wonderful <laughs> parts of our industry to try and um, highlight who are the top players. And through that, I think you get greater understanding then of what these players are. That's our idea anyway. And I think we also, we're very keen to be, to, to be about creating competition, to show competition, to show good when it happens, to raise the bar. I think the industry has often been accused of being a little bit slow, lacking proactivity, a bit complacent at times, but institutional. So, so competition is a good thing, I believe. And so that was one of the things behind it. So we show, as you did when you mentioned my ranking earlier on, we show where people rank in the league table and then of course people ask why and why it matters and that's where we will also try and explain how does this link to commercial success so there's some interesting issues that have come up really that as we've gone through this and i'll just give you one example which is which is co-branding with tech companies so obviously technology is is a coming force or it's already here and there are lots and lots massively many more partnerships being set up now with carriers because it's a partnership model. So, so this idea of co-branding is really now a big issue with big tech partnerships. You know, are they good for both parties? Do they, how are they going to work? How do you present, say, you know, a DXC alongside a, a mosaic, which they're working together. So these, the business of insurance is evolving and the brand branding and the brand benefits are evolving such that more tech-enabled businesses are saying, well, there's potential competitive edge in us talking about us being a more technologically capable business. And so that's just one example. And um, so let's get on to the nitty-gritty. Um, and uh, what is your research methodology? So the methodology, basically, I mean, it'll vary slightly depending on which index we do. But the basic methodology is that, first of all, we base it on robust data. That's important. And the other was that it was that it was based around customer views and end user views because so much is in the insurance industry is about the financial performance, often the retrospective financial performance, which which is which is kind of somewhat useful, but it tells you nothing about the future. And, and I think customer views, you do have more purchase on what's going to happen. It's a leading indicator, if you see what I mean. So I think the, the perception is important. So we wanted, the, we wanted the customer or the proxy customer, if it's the broker viewpoint, to be included because that's where brands prove their worth ultimately. The other thing is it was a monitor. So it's based on trends. It's not based on last week's snapshot of something we found. That's so that if anybody said, well, why is so-and-so at the top? We could say that it's there because we've been monitoring it over time. It's not, you know, just come about last week or something. So I think that's important. So the scoring system we use is based around an index, which is Mindshare or what we'd call spontaneous awareness. So which brands have you heard of? Um, the best question in branding is that question, by the way, because it tells you more than anything else. And we also add in personality. So we are some personality characteristics, which um, we've been using for a number of years. And there's four key characteristics that we use, power, innovation, prestige, and honesty or trustworthiness. And um, they tell you a lot about where the market is going. So I talked about AIG being a power brand. The Chubbs and people are more like prestige brands. They're more like about profit. Convex, Beasley are more clustered around things like innovation and so on. So you can start to map the market on those bases. Now, what we do in the index is we take any of those considerations. So in other words, does a brand have a personality at all? And 
that plays into the index. So in other words, if they don't get described much at all, so if they're always at the bottom of the table, you know, they don't get noticed, they don't get mentioned, then they're not really a strong brand. So that's how we measure those. We overlay that then with hard metrics like share of business, and soon we're going to add financial data to that. So you can, in other words, you can resort the brands by their growth financially or whatever. So you start to then see the correlations between the brand and the actual performance of the business. So the end product of all of this research is, is the 2022 London Insurance Market Index. Uh, so kind of drum roll moment. Ben, who has come out on top? Which insurer has come out on top of this index? Right. So in the 2022 London Market Carrier Index, the first of our indexes, Beasley comes out on top. Um, now Beasley, therefore, is the strongest brand on that on our measure. They achieved that because they get really strong scores for their personality, the thing I mentioned earlier on. So they are really seen as very strongly associated with certain characteristics. So, so people know what they are, they have a view on them. And they're, they're strong on awareness as well. They're just ahead on awareness of some of the other big players like um, Liberty Specialty Markets, Munich Re, Axra Excel and Chubb, who are the other power brands. Yeah, and, and talking of creating brand, how, how does one go about that? Is it, is it created by uh, individuals or is it created by an organisation? Um, I, I ask because there's another article on, on the, the Insure Index website that highlights the role of brand leaders such as Stephen Catlin or Greenberg. Um, but when I was reading that, I was thinking, surely the strongest brands are those which are separate from individuals, that the brands that, that exist in... in uh, simply the name of the company um, is, is what creates the brand rather than an individual. So, you know, I suppose this fits into the, the great man or the great woman of history argument as well. To what extent is history defined by individuals and what extent is history defined by continuum? Yeah, and I think the answer to that you probably already know is a bit of both, of course. And I think you can't have one without the other. I mean, I think they are, in my view, they're synonymous that you have these great individuals. I mean, to be fair... Stephen Catlin, for example, I mean, his name was, he had, his business was the eponymous business with his name over the door when he was running Catlin. So there was him as a brand and the brand in itself, you know, so he was for a while that he is not that now. He's definitely got a new, he's got a name now, which is Convex, but he is still the leader. And I think, you know, the CEOs rather like when people talk about culture, they carry that, they are the guardians of the brand. So there are certain big iconic figures who you always associate with the brand. So you will always associate Robert Hiscox and his values with Hiscox, I suppose. So it's a really great question, actually. But I think if you take, let's just take Catlin and Convex for, for a second, you know, because that's probably the best sort of case study we've got of branding, which, and he's also written a book, which is helpful, <laughs> uh, called Risk and Reward. So the key starting point to get right for Catlin originally was the business values. And he says that was the way of getting a consistent way of operating and doing business. He based it around the people, which great brands are. Particularly B2B brands are built around people. You know, they're not always there forever, but they are built around people who have these values. And if you, you know, like if I meet people from RPC or whatever, I expect them to be a similar sort of person. Even if they only joined a few weeks ago, they should have picked up the way you do business, you know, the way we do things around here. So that was important. And Catlin did that and the other businesses are doing it. And he said that was the hardest thing to work out and get right. You know, it took them the longest time to get those values right. 
But guess, you know, once they did that, it did work really, really well for them. And guess what? You know, if you look at Andrew Horton, who's just moved from Beasley to QBE, he, he was asked, what, what are you going to do? What's your task? And he said, well, I'm just going to sort out the values and then pretty much everything after that will follow. And that's his quote on <laughs> chief exec of a major global insurer and what he needs to do. So, so these values are fundamentally important to the start point of a brand. So what are you trying to achieve uh, through insurer index? I guess this is a, uh, I, th- I think a question which I asked you last time, but it didn't make the final podcast, which is to, to what extent are uh, researchers such as yourself trying to change things? And to what extent are you simply trying to uh, explain the world as it is? Well, I think what I said earlier about the evidence being very important is something I believe, you know, if, if you don't measure it, it doesn't get done. Is a great kind of mantra, I think, for businesses. And, and I say that a lot of the insurance businesses, in my view, have shied away from the non-financial measures, either not seeing them as important or seeing them as just in the too difficult category. So I think the point about insure index and what we're doing with this is that we don't want to sit on the sidelines. You know, we want to be part of the dynamic of the market. You know what, at the end of it, it's about belief in brand. You know, we all believe that the brands could be much, much better than they are. And I'll give you, you know, the biggest, the most important area at the moment, I think, is around talent. You know, why do people join businesses? And we're doing work, we're just about to put out a table on employer brands, which um, is really interesting in the sense that people just don't, generally in the London market, for example, don't rate other brands very highly which is just because they haven't been communicated very well in Maine. Not not because, I mean, some of them are pretty bad, but not not many. And um, when you look at it, if you could sell these brands better, you'd find it easier to attract people and get people along because you're just, you're doing the right thing. And so it has that value and we can see that. So we can basically say with Insure Index and with the other work that we do, which is more detailed, you can say, that's the outcome. If you get it right, you're the Beasley, you're the Liberty, you're the Chubb, you can get that. And, and, and what opportunities do you envisage for insurers uh, when it comes to improving their brand in, in the years to come? I think the, the opportunities in insurance are incredible. And I think they're completely undervalued brand wise at the moment. Many of the big insurers, they could do so much more. And once they st- I think once they start to get their acts together technologically, they should be able to do that. So the sheer scale and size and diversity of the sector and the fact it's got obvious purpose and that's a great thing to have i mean i don't think banking has got the same kind of obvious purpose that insurance has it needs leadership it does definitely need leadership and people to step up to that bigger platform i think but it's there so it's currently seen as slow and old-fashioned it's not very well understood so it is the classic sleeping giant in a way and i think so anybody that's going to decide to develop their brand will do well and in fact you know talking to a number of players at the moment and it's obvious that they don't have to do very much to build their brands but if they did a lot it would be incredible for the sector and uh, finally ben um as we come to an end what one bit of advice um, have you received in your career that was actually useful okay so you did send me this question before and i obviously i i thought about it and i did think first I haven't had many pieces of advice in my life, which I'll have to, I'll have to reflect on afterwards. But um, maybe I just didn't listen, Peter, that's the problem. Um, but one that was very useful was when I was at university and I was probably a bit aimless. So and my dad sent me, a, my, so it's from my dad, so he sent me a postcard and it said, 
basically along the lines of don't worry, one day something will come along, Ben, that will grab your attention and you'll embrace it and it will really catch your imagination. And um, that thing, I think, was business, to be honest, for me, it was just running businesses and the fun of it and so on. Uh, but it was absolutely spot on, is that, you know, be patient, don't try and force things, don't jump into things you just because you think you ought to do them. So that's the advice I would certainly pass on to my younger self, is um, just be patient and wait and something will come along. Brilliant. Ben, that was absolutely wonderful. Thank you so much for your time. RPC Radio. Radio. Thank you so much for listening to Insurance Covered. If you enjoyed the podcast, please subscribe and please rate, review and share it. It really does help. Please also listen to another of our podcasts, Taxing Matters, which is hosted by my brilliant colleague, Alice Kemp. Insurance Covered is an RPC production made possible by Joe Burgess and Mary Mitchell. If you want to be a guest on Insurance Covered, please email me at peter.mansfield at rpc.co.uk. Thank you and I hope you have a lovely day.